What is up, everybody? Welcome back to a very special episode of uh, 94 by 50. Special for two reasons. Uh, one, because we're celebrating the U.S. getting in third knockout rounds of the World Cup. And uh, also special because we have a very special guest with us, our coaching and tac- tactics expert, Sully. You want to introduce yourself, Sully? Uh, great to be here, gentlemen. Uh, yep, as uh, as Matthew said, my name is Sully. Um, I'm the head soccer coach at Woodstock North High School. Um, and yeah, just uh, very excited to be here and uh, talk some footy with y'all. Yep, big shouts to Woodstock North. Uh, listeners, great to see you. You know, we're in the holiday spirit. Had to give you the gift of some extra insight. Brought in some extra help reinforcements it's going to be a good one we've got a lot to talk about so we should probably just get straight into it you guys are already better than burhalter using your subs correctly (laughs) Uh, we'll talk more about that i'm sure um well i mean let's just talk about that so that has been a big thing we're sitting here uh u.s has made it out of the group stages, we've got a matchup Saturday at uh, 10 a.m. Eastern time, 9 a.m. Central, uh, against the Netherlands. And um, first, I mean, let's talk about it. How do we get here? Uh, what do we have to look forward to? Chime in, boys. Well, I mean, for me, like... The biggest thing I have noticed about this team, yes, Christian Pulisic is the one getting the stats. He's, you know, he's Captain America. Um, He's everybody's favorite player. He's the flashiest player out there. But, you know, in terms of what makes this team really tick, it's come down to two players for me. Tyler Adams, first off, there better be, a handful of premier league teams looking to get him from Leeds this uh this transfer window his performance his domination of the midfield uh paired up with weston mckinney has just been incredible to see and in uh all three of the games that has been uh i think uh the u.s's greatest strength is really dominating the middle of the field um now with that all being said uh hats off to Matt Turner. Matt Turner is following in the long line of illustrious American goalkeepers, um, standing on his head a couple of times, making saves when they really matter, keeping his defense and his defensive mids organized. Uh, It's, it's been tremendous to see two players like that really uh, get to shine on the international stage. Yeah, totally, totally agree with, with both those takes Sully. I think, uh, our midfield has been our strongest position group for sure. Um, and we'll get into it more, but I think, you know, our midfield is even a strength over the Netherlands midfield. We've um, looked a little shaky at times on the back line. We had Walker Zimmerman start the first two games and then Cameron Carter Vickers came in for him. Um, Shaq Morris come in a couple times and to me looked a little shaky. We've had, um, Haji Wright and Josh Sargent at the forward line and we've frankly struggled to create chances but we've we've created enough to get through but but the midfield has just been so so good um, I think Yunus Musa is playing with the maturity beyond his years he just turned 20 on the day of the Iran game um, and he's a guy who I think could also be on the radar of some big European teams um, Tyler Adams has been amazing with both his play and his leadership. He just seems to be all over the field. And then Weston McKinney has been really good too, uh, coming back to full fitness. Of course, played that ball to Serginho Dest, uh, who then assisted to Pulisic for the winner against Iran. Um, So I I like what we've seen mostly from this team. Only allowed one goal in the group stage, which was a PK. So we've been good defensively and uh, we just need to, continue to find a way to create chances um, going now, forward against the Netherlands. I want to come back to three of those guys you mentioned in the midfield, um, McKin- McKinney, Adams, and Musa. When you have a midfield like that, you know, they, they, with your midfield, you want to cover sort of all of your bases 
in terms of player personalities. And the U.S. has done a great job of that. Musa mixes it up physically. For a 20-year-old, he gets in there and fights for every ball and is physically dominant. McKinney, McKinney's kind of a loose cannon. He's kind of an odd guy. And that translates into his play style, which perfectly complements sort of the, the, the silent, strong type of Tyler Adams. So with, with those three guys, the chemistry they have and the way they can cover each other's weaknesses and, and give you great diversity in that middle, it's, it's been fantastic. That, that is what you want to see with a midfield. It covers just about every type of player. And, you know, playing soccer, most of the game is played in that midfield. So you want to have a variety of skill sets in there to dictate what the flow of the game is going to be. Max, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think I, you guys have touched so much and I think focused a lot on the midfield, and I think that's rightfully so. I have liked what I've seen out of Musa and his physicality and something I was – while he's had a couple of times where he's done like two-handed shoves where I can't believe he didn't get a yellow card a couple of times, but you always want to be able to, you know, reel a guy back as opposed to having to pump him up. But I think something that's been so good to see this World Cup – in terms of physicality is we just haven't looked scared of mm-hmm. these teams that we've been playing. Like we're, it's not like we're just going out there and trying to muck up the game and just, you know, foul everybody, but they're not afraid to, you know, put an arm in the back or just let them know that they're there and then play around you. They're not, they haven't been afraid of, and I think it's awesome. When you have Musa and Wea who can go and do this, but they're not afraid to try and take some of these guys on by the dribble, you know, and there's just they're not playing timid, and I think that's been really awesome to see. No matter the results of the games, which so far have been good, you know, it doesn't feel like it's been a fluke. No matter what's happened, it feels like we're here, and that's been great. Uh, Tyler Adams, I do just want to keep shouting him out. Um, leadership wise, it's been awesome to see even him kind of like yelling at other players. You know, you can really see that you know he's earned that ability and earned that trust. He's made just some incredible tackles to come back to. And then I think we still have those big questions um, in the back. I think Carter Vickers looked good. Um, I think, you know, Zimmerman as a sub is pretty good. The rest of the defensive options worry me. Um, And then on offense, I do think, and I want to get your thoughts on this, I do think we got somewhat of an answer. I really loved Josh Sargent's hold-up play. The way that he was trapping the ball – this last game just opened up so many more options. And, you know, he's not fully, you know, you still want the guy who can also make the run and get goals, but just his ability to bring balls down and give the other players a chance was massive against Iran. Um, So I look at him as the starter next game. I wanted to ask you guys what kind of thoughts on all that. So we go for it. I would agree 100% starting Sergeant um, with one caveat. Um, I think Sergeant needs to come off at halftime. I think if we play a first half like we've played, you know, every first half so far this tournament, um, I think if we play, if we play with the pace that we've been playing every first half with, I think we need to get Sergeant out of there and put Gio Reyna in center forward or move him out to the right and move Wea into center forward. Um, the fact that we have not seen Reyna really at all this World Cup is kind of shocking to me, um, and especially playing against the Netherlands. And uh, Matt, you might not like to hear this, but I think the best way for the United States to beat the Netherlands is to play directly at Van Dyke. I think he has lost a step. I think his pace is not what it used to be. And if we can put somebody quick on the ball in front of him, that's going to give the Netherlands a lot of problems. There, there is no way we can play against the Netherlands uh, the way we played against England, for example. Van Dyke are roughly the same size as Harry Maguire. 
Um, and it's just not going to work if we're trying to cross the ball in um, against somebody with his size. So we need to play much more direct. And I think giving us speed at the top and fresh legs coming right out of halftime gives us that opportunity. That's a good note. I mean, I think that is one of the big questions. I know personally, I wanted to see Jesus Ferreira um, before this. Now it seems like, do you bring him in at this point? You know, because it would be in the second half of this next game. Like, it's just, you know, obviously all the questions about Reina. I think there's, you know, you could say a lot there. It's It's been interesting. Something I did want to say before we go any further is I have been impressed with like the leadership we were talking about, but also the locker room seems to just genuinely be like comfortable and happy with each other. There's, we hear a lot about extracurricular stuff in these tournaments and with the amount of egos that are involved in this tournament. And it feels like the U S soccer team really cares about each other. And is just like excited to be there and has meshed well. So I'll give Burhalter that, but yeah, let's, MK, where are you at on um, the Reina front? What do you want to see from Reina or the subs, the bench, um, you know, going into the Netherlands? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, on the Reina thing, I mean, that was an option I thought of too, Sully. Like, if we don't have a good striker option, because to me, if if Sargent's healthy, he's the obvious starter. But Haji Wright, to me, has struggled Jesus Ferreira is an option, but it'd be a lot to throw him in in a knockout round game after not even appearing in the group stage. So I, I had thought about, you know, a front line of Pulisic, Aronson, Wea, or Pulisic, Reina, Wea, something like that. Um, someone who could drop deep and hold the ball and kind of pull Van Dyke out of position, make him run around the field a little bit, I think would be helpful. Um, yeah, as far as the bench goes, I mean, I think our lack of depth has showed a little bit and like bringing Shaq Moore in was a big drop off at right back, bringing in Kellen Acosta was a big drop off in center mid. And um, those guys were in sort of pressure moments late in the games when they came in. So honestly, I think like Sully, what you were alluding to bringing some guys in at the start of a half or in like the 55th minute, like Japan has done to really kind of reinvigorate the team could be helpful if, um, if we're down or tied at, at half. I guess. That is, yeah. Uh, Soli said that off air, um, if you want to repeat, but I think early subs is what you're getting at, Soli. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so, because this Netherlands team is not deep either. Um, they do not, this is not the Netherlands teams, or team of old. This is a team um, that outside their starting 11 and some of the guys even in their starting 11 are not good. And, uh, you know, especially the, the, they are, they are kind of a, they're, they're similar to the U S they are an odd mix of younger players and very much older players and sort of in this in between, uh, kind of phase, and I'll go after uh, Louis Van Hall for a second before I go after Burhalter because that is a, a rant I'm about to go off on. But if I was Louis Van Hall, not taking Newcastle superstar Sven Botman to this World Cup is just an absolute travesty. Your midfield is not good enough to play that defensively uh, against, against Qatar. The Netherlands ran a three, a three, four, a three, four, one, two. Okay. The U S's midfield can break down the midfield. That is uh, Bleen, De Jong, Darun, Dumfries, and Klassen. That is not a strong midfield. Okay. If Van Hall was really serious about getting the most out of this Netherlands team, he would play four in the back and have Van Dyke paired up with Botman, move Ake out right and move Tim or move Ake farther out left and move Timber farther out right. So I, I really think if uh, if the U.S. is going to have a lot of success, 
they need to run straight down the middle and constantly be putting on fresh legs because I don't think this uh, Netherlands team has the stamina or the depth. I mean, Frankie de Jong is a very, very good player. He is not known for his defensive abilities. Cody Gakpo uh, uh, arguably is their best player at this World Cup right now. He plays up top and needs services, and I don't see him getting those services from uh, from his midfield with Adams, McKinney, and uh, uh, and Musa sitting there uh, cutting off those lanes. So, you know, Van Van Hall, I think, really made some some poor decisions with his squad. Now, going after our own coach, uh, Greg Berhalter, Jordan <laughs> Morris, Haji Wright. And Shaq Moore should never see the soccer field for the U.S. national team ever again. Haji Wright running to the corner flag, showing the only bit of running he did during the game against Iran. Most of the time he was jogging around the field. That was absolutely disgraceful, uh, having him out there on the field. Gio Reyna gives you better legs. Brendan Aronson gives you better better legs. Jesus gives you better legs. Those three options are far better up top for goal-scoring opportunities than Haji Wright or Jordan Morris. I don't want to ever hear the name Jordan Morris again. Ooh, listeners. Now, you know, I think the frustrations that Coach Sullivan here shares, I think, are rippling across the United States right now. The Reina one obviously touched a, a nerve, but yeah, Jordan Morris and the, to be to have to rely on Jordan Morris in the World Cup all these years later is it's upsetting. It's frustrating. I like Jordan Morris. I, you know, it's a great story. I think him being on the rosters, one thing, maybe again, as like a locker room guy, some, a guy who can see things, but his yeah. knees are shot. His knees are completely <laughs> gone. For Halter, rightfully so. I think it was interesting. And I was talking because this is a basketball podcast. And I will say, I don't have much to talk about when it comes to the Netherlands. USA is in this interesting like place, which I do want to ask you guys about, where it's kind of that thing of like, obviously we want the US to go far and do as well as they can and kind of shock the world. But it's also like if you know if US loses their next game, there's a good chance Burhalter's not back, which I would say a lot of US fans would probably probably be pumped about. So it's this weird situation of I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, Max. It's kind of like, uh, kind of like how Budenholzer with the Milwaukee Bucks bringing in basketball yeah. essentially got kept his job because they won the title. Yeah, which it's like ultimately- round of round of sixteen is kind of the sweet spot, whereas mm-hmm. you know not getting out of the group would have been a clear failure. Anything yep. past round of sixteen um, it's, it's would be a, would be a huge success. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, international coaches never last too long, and Berhalter has only been there since since 2018, since the um, since this World Cup cycle began. Um, so I don't, I'm, I guess I, I don't know how much peop, the public or the media or people really tuned into U.S. soccer feel like he's contributed to player development and whether he's the person to take this really young generation of players forward um, kind of eyeing 2026 as a time when the U S could really uh, make a name for itself with, with each of these guys having four more years of experience with the world cup being on home turf. What, what do you guys think about um, Burhalter's sort of legacy and whether he's the right person to continue? So, Matt, I've got Greg Berhalter's playing resume pulled up right now. The biggest team he has played for is Crystal Palace, and he played there for 19 games in 2001 and 2002, okay? Most of these players have gotten their development overseas in Europe. Berhalter does not have European soccer experience. 
This is this is um, this is borderline Bruce Arena Part Two. Well, he played in Germany, didn't he? For eighteen sixty Munich for three <laughs> years. Are they still even in the Bundesliga? No. No, they are in the third tier <laughs> of German soccer. Okay. This all this player development has occurred overseas, and this is again, this is U.S. soccer kind of trying to retread the MLS style out on an international stage. The only teams he has coached, he's coached the LA Galaxy as an assistant. He coached uh, Hammurabi IF, a team in Stockholm. Hey, shout out the Swedes! Big shout. And the Columbus crew. Okay. Those are the teams he has coached and played for. All right. That is not going to take us to the next level. The name uh, and Max, going back to your original point, you know, I would much rather see the U S getting its young guys international experience before this comes back to us in 2026 in front of our own fans and then we have a real shot at doing something, okay? I would much rather see young players getting experience rather than us playing sort of, you know, boring styles of soccer uh, and getting, you know, these close victories or draws, okay? I'd much rather take the experience into 2026 and then be ready to roll at that point, okay? Yeah, I think that's very fair. I think they also, we can, I think we can all agree that, they kind of did what they set out to do. They made it out of the group stage. Right. So it's kind of like, yeah, there's like you, you climb Everest or whatever, and there's the bases along the way. Like they made it to this, they got out of, they made it to base one, you know, they'd like to go further, but can they, but um, I kind of, to you know, we'll kind of come back and we'll give our predictions at the end of the podcast, but to open it up a little bit, we kind of talk about, you know, kind of like our golden age or whatever, if you want to talk about is coming up, you know, we're hosting it next We're you know, all our players are going to be their mid twenties. They're going to have a lot more experience plus whoever comes up next. But if we open it up to the rest of the field right now and who's made it and who hasn't, uh, I know we, how about, let's start with some of the teams that didn't make it. Uh, Germany didn't make it. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me uh, let me interject real quick, Sully. You, uh, I wanted to give Sully the opportunity, the platform to talk about uh, golden generations that you referenced, yeah, exactly. Max. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew. You're I welcome. Think, I think the term "golden generations" is a loser's mentality. If you put all, if you are saying this is the best we can do, and then you don't perform to a high level i think that is very much a loser's mentality take belgium for example right now at this world cup this was called their golden generation belgium not a big country doesn't have a huge population they've got good soccer players okay there's a lot of money in belgium if belgium wanted to invest heavily in its national team they could and they could put forward good team after good team at these international, goodness gracious, at these international competitions, okay? Same thing with Portugal. Portugal's golden generation was the team of Deco, Luis Figo, young Ronaldo. Uh, that was considered their golden generation. I, I, I think that's a loser mentality. Portugal produces enough good players for them to be consistently good. You never, ever hear teams like Argentina, Brazil, France, Germany. You never hear teams like that say, oh, this is our golden generation. And I think if the U.S. slips into that mentality, that sets us back even further, okay? We're, the, this isn't like our one shot to win it, okay? This might be our best shot, but we have to still kind of recognize that there's progress to be made at all levels so i i cannot stand that label when they say oh this, this is the golden generation you know you know this is this is the best team we can put out it's never gonna like if you think something is the best you're never gonna get any better 
than that. And if that best thing in your mind doesn't achieve the top prize, then everything after that is going to be looked at as a failure. So I, I, I don't want, I don't like that term golden generation. I think that's the, the mindset of teams that will never truly contest for a world cup or a major championship. I hear you, Sully. No, that makes sense. I think the, I the Belgium two. one uh, is a little unique in that, like, that team wasn't even on the international radar really when we were growing up. And then all of a sudden they had this group of great players, Hazar, De Bruyne. So I can kind of see why they were termed a golden generation. But I, I totally understand your point about not wanting to get in the trap of calling it that. That kind of reflects reflects like a reactive attitude where you're saying oh we have all these great players who just coincidentally came about we got to make sure to win with them really you got to be proactive and um in the youth systems in the coaching in the u.s soccer sort of framework looking at how to constantly create good players consistently have good teams given the given the resources and the talent pool we have Exactly. Uh, and, and if, yeah, if you, and with, with Belgium, I think Belgium still has enough good young players that they're going to be back to semi this type of level. Um, it was, like, it was kind of shocking to me after Belgium's qualifications that they kept Roberto Martinez I thought a clear choice, and and I'm going to come back to the U.S. with golden generations. Um, I thought a clear choice for Belgium to be managed uh, for a manager is Vincent Company. All right, Vincent Company is not not one of the greatest players of all time. He is one of the greatest leaders on a soccer field of all time, though. Okay, the way he commanded the field with Manchester City the way he commanded the field when he was on the Belgian national team. That's what you have. You have to keep making progress. You got to keep kind of trimming the fat. Okay. What are the little things that aren't working? Let's replace those things. You don't need to overhaul everything, but you can't just retread the same thing over and over again, which brings me back to sort of my point about Greg Berhalter and something I wanted to say about um, my problems with him. Greg Berhalter not a ton of European experience, okay? There is somebody in the U.S. system that has more European experience, arguably, than anybody else other than Clint Dempsey, and that's Brian McBride. Brian McBride, in terms of <clears throat> soccer tactics and the way he looks at the game, Brian McBride, on those, uh, on those early 2000s U.S. teams, controlled everything brian mcbride yes landed a fulham legend what do you say a fulham legend a fulham legend exactly <laughs> brian mcbride played overseas for a majority of his career that is the type of person we should be looking at to uh to manage the u.s national team all right yeah i mean i think it's a great point it's just yeah, we'll see. I, I think a lot of those questions are, aren't going to be answered until the run is over. And obviously, I hope that U.S. makes as deep of a run as possible. Um, and I think no matter how deep or how shallow their run goes from here, you still have to ask yourself, is Berhalter the right man for the job? When you bring up the point of the entire spotlight, you know, world spotlight is going to be on us next and in a spent and a, a, you know going back to sort of my expertise you know i do coach soccer at a very high level one of the highest levels here in the united states um but going back to burhalter's tactics he he looks scared out there he he looks like he does not have faith in his team one thing i want to see against the netherlands you know take the leash off you know let let them play fast let them constantly attack you're not going to need to make those defensive subs for a guy like uh, for a guy like Dest if you're pushing that ball that yeah. far up the field. And if Dest is running low on stamina, if he if he's off the pace a bit, bring in Yedlin. Yedlin well, is a fine substitute for Dest. I, I would like to see them play a much more open style, 
really go after and and make the Netherlands chase the game all for the full 90 minutes rather than the way the U.S. has been playing where they've made the team, other team chase for the first 45 and then they just sit back for the second half. They need yep. to make the other team chase them. Yeah, it's a, it's a great note. And I think that's something I, I, I love that we do is use our defenders as um, – almost mid just putting in the long balls what uh robinson jetty's been able to do and desp has been able to do is massive and you see the impact of it when we put in these subs and that is scary having such a big drop off by putting in morris and and you that's where yedlin can come in and still kind of play the same exact role of getting up the pitch putting the balls in being someone who can also is still fast enough to get back uh, yeah, I did want to just big shouts out to uh, definitely Anthony Robinson, but um, yeah, Des has played well too overall. I do, I do disagree to an extent, Sully. I think, I think the U.S. has been proactive in the way they've played. I think they, they didn't shy away from uh, taking the reins of sort of taking the reins against England. I think they were aggressive early against Iran, maybe not aggressive enough against Wales. So I think. I think the style has been fine. I think I like their pressing the substitutions and the issues there. I would agree with. Let's take a very quick halftime break, get some water, and then we'll be right back. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, hope you enjoyed that discussion. Um, a lot of passionate input from Coach Sullivan, assessing Greg Berhalter um, and his counterpart, Louis Van Gaal, among, among other coaches. Um, we wanted to also talk about what's going on elsewhere in the bracket and the other groups, and then we'll come back to the U.S. Um, so, guys, just to give a quick rundown of where things are at right now. Um, in the other game on Saturday, and we'll if we beat the Netherlands, uh, we'll play the winner of this game. We have Argentina, Australia. Um, any thoughts off the top of your head there? Does Australia have any chance? Um, Argentina, they haven't looked like world beaters at this tournament, but they've definitely looked like the better side. Uh, I haven't seen much of Australia, and they definitely had a good group stage. Um, but they also, you know, they haven't had a massive win. I, this means so much for Argentina. They're going to have home field advantage. I think, yeah, if we beat Netherlands, we're going to be playing Argentina. I would agree with that. I, you know, I, I think Australia is a great story. I just don't see... I just don't see how they get past Argentina. I mean, one of the, I think Australia's leading goal scorer plays in the second division of the, uh, of the J league. So I don't see how they have the firepower to keep up with Argentina, but you know what? This world cup has been nothing short of, uh, of chaotic. Let's Anything just say that. Happen. So, so we'll see, but I, I would pick Argentina to go through on that one also. Uh, Sunday, two, we have two heavyweights playing. Um, both France and England are, will be in action. Uh, the first game of the day will be France-Poland. To me, Poland, um, I wasn't overly impressed by them. They got a result against Saudi Arabia, but I thought Saudi Arabia was actually quite good in that game and unlucky not to get something out of it. And then um, they just got through on on yellow cards over Mexico. So I, I fancy France to win this one pretty easily. Same. I, I mean, I, I only saw Poland in their last game, but I thought they were kind of, it felt shameful. They, I mean, they just got absolutely dominated by Argentina and obviously yeah. it's going to happen, but it like they, there was, I mean, Mexico was really pressing. They were very close to not, you know, getting eliminated. And it felt like they just didn't care at all. It felt like they were just very content. Like they thought they were automatically through already. 
I mean, it was one of those like, yeah, they made it through. But gosh, if that was my team and I watched that, I'd be feeling disgusted with their performance. If Chesney's not in go in goal for Poland, France scores five or six on them. This French team yeah. looks really good right now. I can't believe I'm saying that. I thought this uh, French team was going to kind of uh, collapse in on themselves. Um given uh, some of the stuff in the media with some of their players uh, and especially losing Benzema, but they have not missed a beat since the last world cup. Um, I still think they win in convincing fashion. Cool. And then second game of the day on Sunday, England, Senegal, Um, England won, of course, one the group we were in put up a lot of goals against Iran, but, I don't know, but obviously they struggled against us. We could have won that game. I thought we were the better team. Uh, And then um, they were good for a half against Wales. Um, But Senegal might be able to pull an upset even without Sadio Mane. I think this will be a close game. Have either of you guys been able to see much of either of those teams? I've watched quite a bit of England. Um, England is sort of in the same boat as the u.s and the netherlands i think coaching is holding them back i think southgate is far too defensive i think they have i think this england team compared to a lot of england teams has goal scorers at at almost every position other than their back line um and i think if england decides to fully press and for whatever reason, you know, Phil Foden not getting the playing time he should be getting. If if Phil Foden plays uh, a significant portion of minutes, I think England um, has a strong chance at, at really dominating this game. Would have loved to have seen this matchup with Mane uh, in the game, but uh, I see England taking this one. Yeah, I don't have too much to add to either. I, I, I've seen a little bit of both teams and you know, obviously Mane's such a, you know, it's, it just stinks. That, that's the tough part of the sport. Four yeah. years in between each tournament, it's tough to be that close to one and, and mm-hmm. to be on a team that got out of the group stage without him, you know, add a world-class player like him to, to play against this England team, he, he could easily make a difference. So. I do want to give a shout out quick to Senegal's coach. Uh, since I've just been kind of coach trashing uh, this entire podcast, I love that guy. That guy's awesome. Yeah, crazy. England's depth is crazy to me, Sully. You touched on it. Like, having Phil Foden and Marcus Rashford as your second string wingers and didn't really see much action. But I think, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse for Southgate, right? Because he needs to find the right formula and push the right buttons with all that depth. And it, I agree it's strange that he didn't play Foden especially much in the first two games. I think Foden is um, especially better than Raheem Sterling right now. Um, but if England can kind of find the right mix of players, find the right lineup, I think they'll they'll take that game. Yep. And then the, the final two group games that we know about, or excuse me, final two knockout round games that we know about uh, are on Monday, Japan – Croatia, it, crazy that Japan lost to Costa Rica, went behind against Spain, and went behind against Germany, uh, and still won that group. Um, can they, in your guys' mind, get past uh, Croatia? I think so. I think something of the, the, the group that I thought was so interesting is I think Spain ended up with a plus six goal differential and still got second. Yeah when Japan was like plus one, but yeah, I I mean, I think, and the other funny thing is that, you know, you would think that a Spain getting second ends up playing Morocco, who I think, you know, I'm sure that they'd rather play uh, Morocco than Croatia, but Japan's looked good. They looked great when they played the U S in the quick uh, friendly window before the world cup. And, They've looked really good. They've got a good mix of young and old, and they there's such a good unit. Their passing has been great. They weathered the storm, and they used their subs very wisely and just sprung out on Spain today, got a crazy win, and then held it down. So I, I don't know. Are you guys 
impressed with Croatia more than Japan at this point? Uh, I mean, the key to beating Croatia has been the same key it's been for the last 10 years. You have to prevent Mordric from getting the ball. Um, and if Japan, Japan likes to play out wide, they don't like to play through the middle. And I think that will actually really be to their benefit. I don't think Croatia has a ton of speed. They like uh, much more the slow, deliberate buildup, um, kind of checking back. Uh, you know, you know, really probing a defense, whereas Japan just likes to get out and run along the wings. So I think it'll be a very interesting mix of styles. Um, I I could see I could see this being a game that goes to PKs. I could see this one being tied after uh, after 120. Yeah, I could see that, Matthew. Yeah. No, I would say um, I agree with Sully. J- Japan plays with a back five. They've been playing a, f- a 5-4-1, I think. And they'll, so they'll just defend and then try to counter on teams. I mean, against Spain and Germany, they, they didn't have much possession at all. They had like 18% possession against Spain. But to Sully's point, they have a lot of speed going forward. Um, I do think it'll be important for them to, to get the first goal against Croatia. I think if if Croatia does score first, Modric, you know, probably better than almost any midfielder in the world can can help control the game. Um, but if Japan score first, this will be a really interesting game. And MK, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you there. I mean, Japan's two wins they've had to come from behind both games. So if I'm Japan, I let Croatia score in the first five minutes, and then the rest is gravy. <laughs> strategy, strategy, strategy. Uh, Break it. So why fix it if it's not broke is what they say yep. <laughs> so, so final two groups are yet to be decided but we know uh brazil or portugal um, or excuse me brazil and portugal are going to go through likely as the group winners we don't know who the second place team is going to be um so i guess i'll just ask you guys could you see brazil or portugal getting upset um in the round of 16 or do you you fancy both of them to go through to the quarterfinal? I think I think Brazil will be fine. Um, I I will find out what the timetable is with uh, Neymar, right? Um, but I think Brazil is just talented enough and deep enough that they'll be fine. I would bet on Portugal as well, but the, it hasn't been as easy for them like ever in any tournament really. And especially this one, I mean, even they just, they beat Ghana three to two on the penalty kick, you know? So I, I think I would still pick them to come out of it, but I'm definitely more, I'm higher on Brazil right now than Portugal. I would agree with that. Um, although I have been incredibly impressed with Bruno Fernandez's play so far, he has been lighting it up. He's on two goals and two assists. Uh, wait, no, sorry. Yeah. Two goals and two assists, which is um, very, very impressive for, uh, for him coming into this game. So yeah, I, I would agree that Brazil is the much stronger side compared uh, to Portugal, but um, I don't see either of them going out in the round of 16. All righty. There you have it. Um, good knockout round rundown, boys. Um, let's get back to the U.S. game, and we can kind of get into more of the nitty-gritty predictions, if that's cool with you. I guess a couple of questions I had lineup-wise were – sounded like we decided – Sergeant, there is consensus that Sergeant should start at forward if he's healthy. Um, if if his ankle is bugging him and he can't start the game, who do you put at center forward? I'd start Aronson at center forward. I like I like Reyna coming in in the second half. I think he's faster than both of those players, um, and especially if we've been you know pressing the Netherlands. I think that sort of injection of speed could just be a backbreaker for the Netherlands coming out of halftime. Max. Yeah, honestly, I like that. I am very excited with uh, Aaron and Reina. Um, I don't really have much to add to that. What about you? MK? I don't know, honestly, how comfortable either of those guys are playing as a false nine. I mean, if they are, I mean, I think, 
starting one of those alongside Pulisic or way definitely gives us like the most talent on the field at a single time as possible and for sure most speed. Um, so yeah, if one of those guys feels like he can play that center forward position, then yes. But um, if if not, I would definitely start Ferreira over Haji Wright. Haji Wright just looked really uncomfortable to me, a little out of place, slow, didn't have a lot of pace or dynamism against Iran. Um, I won't go as far as to say <laughs> you shouldn't see the soccer field again. Uh, for the U.S. team, he's, he's a fine MLS team. player. He should never see yeah, it. The he US can team. go back to his team in Turkey or whatever. Turkey. But, but uh, yeah. And then what about what about center back? What are you guys feeling? Tim Ream, shout out Fulham players again, has held it down. But uh, would you guys go back to Zimmerman or Carter Vickers? I would keep Carter Vickers personally. I, I would completely agree with that. Yep, I'm I'm in I'm in agreement with that. And I I like Zimmerman being your guy off the bench if you need the yeah. defensive sub. Like Zimmerman coming off the bench is great, honestly. But yeah, I think you bring in Carter Vickers. He just a, looked a little bit more comfortable out there, even in his uncomfortable moments. It still felt a little bit better overall. Yeah, and Sully, you know, you know the Netherlands roster well too, so chime in. But I mean, the the guys they start up top are not big, but they have speed. Gakpo, Steven Bergwijn, Memphis Depay. If he plays, I feel like Carter uh, Vickers is better equipped to deal with them than Zimmerman. I I have zero concerns about Memphis Depay. Like I cannot believe he is on Barcelona. I cannot believe he is still getting runs. <laughs> For the Netherlands, I think he is one of the most overrated players uh, in the world. I I just I don't I don't get what Van Hall sees in him. Um, he just must not have any better options, which which I really struggle uh, to believe on that roster. Um, now, Gakpo is bigger than you think. Uh, I, I want to say. He's, he's over six foot. He's probably around six one. Um, he's got some size to him. Uh, so I, I think the, the key with him is preventing, you know, pr- don't let him get space. You, you have to stay tight with him uh, because he can't move through those tight spaces. He, he's much more comfortable when a defender plays a little bit off um, because he do, he can shoot. He, he does have a good shot in addition to uh, being able to crash the box and get in for a header. He um, is listed as six foot four. Yeah, oh, okay, damn, there we go. Bigger there than I go. thought. Okay. Yeah. So uh, he, he really is the only one that gives me concern. And he is much more of a true striker than a false nine. Um, and if, if the Netherlands was playing a false nine then I would kind of be concerned okay where where's Frankie de Jong gonna be but because he's a true striker I'm not as concerned with the Jong uh you know coming up and get in having the defense be sucked in and the ball coming out back to the top of the 18 and de Jong having a shot from there so I, I gotta say there this Netherlands team does not impress me other than the fact that their name is the Netherlands uh Van Dyke ha- has lost a step. Ake. Ake is a very good player, but I don't think he has game-changing abilities. Um, like I said, Dion, fantastic. I think Daily Blind uh, is wildly overrated also. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they go, uh, if they decide to use Luke Dion or uh or Delit uh at all uh during during this game, but you know, if the U.S. plays the way they have been, I don't see this being as much of a challenge other than just the prestige that comes with the orange jerseys. Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, now that we know that Morocco and Japan have won their groups, I might rather play one of those teams. But of the group winners, Netherlands doesn't intimidate me a ton. I think they have a couple of really class players Van Dyke may may have lost a step, hard to admit, as a Liverpool fan. And De Jong is really good. Gakpo has been playing really well. But but besides that, I think they're uh, 
you know, a bunch of good, but not, not anything special players who we can, we can definitely go toe to toe with. And, and they definitely lack the classic um, chemistry and sort of free flowing element that most Dutch teams have had uh, historically. They, they seem much more deliberate and, uh, and sort of systematic rather than, you know, letting the game come to them and, and dictating what the pace of play is um, through, through natural cohesion. For sure. For sure. Yeah. It's not the, the total football, um, the Johan Cruyff style total football from, yeah, th- this, from is, the Netherlands this is not a old. clockwork orange team. At no, all. no, no. Yeah. Now, I mean, this is a great wrap up, you guys. I'd say before we give our first or like our final score picks for this game, I did want to pivot to our last segment just on kind of keeping tabs on the golden boot. You know, we're playing Gakbo right now, who's tied with four other players for first with three goals right now. Um, but if we want to look at kind of the others are Murata from Spain and Bappe has three France. Rashford three for England. Valencia had three on the now uh, out Ecuador. Um, but we also have a listener question that wanted us to, out of all the teams remaining, who has the best, and this is just quote unquote, best goal scorer still in there. Is it Messi? Is it Mbappe? Who's the best goal scorer who remains in the final 16? Hmm. As Coach Sullivan, who's your starter? You know, MK, if you can get into kind of the coach's mindset, who who are you if you need a goal in the 80th minute? Who are you putting in? Well, I can start. Um, I I think Mbappe is probably the uh, – the class player on this list with all due respect to, to the great Leo Messi. Um, yeah, he, he just has so much dynamic pace. Mbappe um, can really do it all. Messi, you know, Messi is a great player, but also 35 years old. Um, and, you know, as the, uh, to me, it's, it's still Argentina is still sort of a team revolving around Messi. Whereas, um, France very much has, you know, they've had some turnover from the last team. Um, Pogba's gone. Conte's gone. Benzema, we expected to be back, but now isn't back. But the continuity with Griezmann and Giroud up front is there. And Mbappe is used to playing with them. Um, So I would, to me, if I have one man who I think I need a goal from, who can win the golden boot, I go with Mbappe. I would agree with that. Just looking at this list, um, you know, I, I I would say Mbappe probably yes needs to is is the front runner. Um, the, you know, and since we're out of the group stages now, things things change. It's a different game. I would not count out Olivier Giroud. Uh, I feel like Olivier Giroud. Everybody always kind of forgets about him, yet for whatever reason, he continues to score goals, even when it doesn't seem like he's doing very much on the field. So, yes, I would say Mbappe, but keep an eye on Giroud, because he, for whatever reason, can just find the back of the uh, the back of the net. Yeah, I, he I love Thierry that. Henry for goals for France. Yeah. Yes. No, no, that's I mean that's great history. And obviously it, he's the guy who Mbappe's learned a lot from. <laughs> and uh someone I also that's a great point. And then and obviously and in, in, you know, his whole career he's been an awesome super sub. Another shout out I want to give is Richarlison from uh Brazil. Um and he's got it in him, has the goal of the tournament so far, uh, with his scissors kick, but then also, you know, has you know, done some crazy things in the Champions League at well this last year. So I don't put it past him to come up big with some goals in this tournament. And and Max, I, Max, I think that's actually that's a great take because 
with Neymar out, those goals have to come from somewhere. And, yeah. you know, he's a great option for Brazil to put points on the board. Yep. He's going to get his chances and I, I bet on him to make use of them. Yeah, I would agree. But, um, yeah. Just wanted to touch on the goal scoring. So let's go back. Uh, the moment all our listeners have been waiting for, let's give our uh, final scores. For this Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, USA, Netherlands. Uh, Soli, you're the guest. What do you got? I'm going to go 2-1 U.S. Would you like to say any more about a goal scorer or any other events that you think might occur? So I'm, I'm going to say 2-1 the U.S. Uh, Wea for sure gets one. Um, I'm going to take kind of a – yeah, Wea for sure gets one. I would say whoever they sub in it forward gets another one, whether it be uh, Reyna or Aronson. I think they get the second. Um, I think Gakpo scores – for the Netherlands. I don't, I don't think you can keep him down all game. Um, but yeah, I would say two, one, the, uh, U S wins. I say, we also don't win the possession battle. I think the Netherlands beats us in possession. Hmm. Good counter. Nice. Matthew. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. I was also going to say two, one to, uh, the United States of America. Um, I like um, Sargent to score early. I could I could see that happening off some nice build-up play assisted by either Way or Pulisic. Um, Netherlands equalizing, and then uh, Brendan Aronson coming up with the winner in the second half. So 2-1 USA onto the quarterfinals for the first time since 2002. Love it. Yeah, I'm going to go with Dos Acero. Two zero you wow classic i hate to do this because i don't want to be copying but i do think our boy aronson medford messi is gonna come through i think it's gonna be a disgustingly sloppy goal where he just pokes it in and in a fray but he's gonna come through for us and you know i'd like to see i think the first goal is gonna come from across from anthony robinson so love it Love it. But I think we're all there. We all believe in the U.S. We'll see how we feel about the next round. But it's good to know that we're all feeling good going into this one. <laughs> uh, before we go, your guys' World Cup champion predictions. I've got Argentina in my bracket, and uh, by the day, I'm feeling less and less confident about that pick. This podcast does give permission to change your pick if you would like to. I, I put it down on paper, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with them. Um, admirable, if admirable. If we're going with teams that are hot right now, man, France, Brazil, England, uh, Spain, and Portugal all they all look like they have a good shot at this. Yeah, I I put Argentina on paper as well in my bracket, and I'm gonna stick with them for the most part. Just for the story's sake, you know, until Messi is out, I'm rolling with him. It's, you know, well, until they play us, but then we'll see. What <laughs> so. I like, I like France to repeat. Um, mm. Argentina has struggled a little bit. Spain struggled today, today, today against Japan with Neymar's health up in the air. Um, France to me has a really good shot. Something we should note about France is they did beat the defending champs curse. For they whatever did. reason, I believe it was the last three tournaments. The yep. winner of the previous tournament didn't even get out of the group stage. So that curse has already ended. We'll see how far the, the boys in blue can go. But uh, listeners, as always, thanks for riding with us. Thanks for listening. We hope that you appreciated the extra experts uh, information you got today. Soli, thanks so much for being here with us. Awesome time, guys. I, I appreciate you giving me uh, giving me the airtime. Yeah, anything you need to plug before uh, we head out of here? Uh, girls soccer starts end of February. Come out and support uh, the Thunder. Um, and, yeah, we have a good shot at, uh, at doing some big things this spring. All right, big shot. You heard it, listeners. The Thunder.
Thanks for listening, listeners. We'll be back with NBA and uh, World Cup Roundup soon. Take care, guys.